Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. God help you if you use voiceover in your work, my friends. God help you. It's flaccid, sloppy writing. I don't want you to be the guy in the PG-13 movie. Everyone's really hoping makes it happen. I want you to be like the guy in the rated R movie, you know? The guy you're not sure whether or not you like yet. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I'm Lee Carlo, joined by Chapin Hemingway and Jeremy Fisk. This week we will be discussing the new film in theaters, If Beale Street Could Talk, directed by Barry Jenkins. Uh, We will move on to a discussion about the amount of movies that are dealing with social issues that have been released this year, uh, and top everything off with our top five innocent prisoners. You ready for this? I've never been more ready for anything in my whole life. You know I love you, no matter what happens. I'm yours in your mind, and that's it. You and me all the time. Honey, there's something I gotta tell you. So, guys, I I was trying to think about a question relating to this movie um, and I was having a hard time coming up with something particular but you know what's really been sitting with me uh, since leaving the theater with this one is the direction of Barry Jenkins here and so I thought we maybe kick some things off a little differently this week and talk more about the director and some of his choices that he made with this movie and not just your thoughts on them but sort of their effectiveness um, in this movie but then also you know we could even broaden that a little bit if you guys want into kind of the effectiveness of the of very obvious choices that directors make and the things I'm thinking about you know he uses a lot of close-ups in this movie he uses music very prominently um you know he his lighting is great Chapin you um offered up the idea of a top five most beautiful films which um I'm sort of glad we didn't end up doing but you know certainly this is a beautiful movie but as you watch this movie it's clearly um, a director's vision, and there were clearly a lot of intentional choices that he made, and I th- thought that we could discuss that a little bit before we delve into our thoughts on the movie itself. So I guess there's no question there, really. But yeah, not really a question. You know. But I mean, just generally, what were you? What did you guys think? Did you find it effective? Did you find it distracting? Was it? You know, how did um, you feel about some of the choices he made here? Uh, I think it's a good, a good, a good question to start off with. Um, I, I was a little bit reminded of what we talked about last week with Jeremy um, when he was discussing uh, his experience working on Shutter Island and wanting to see uh, see um, Scorsese kind of have to work within a limited budget. <clears throat> Excuse me, Beale Street was not a very expensive film, twelve million dollars, but that's about uh, eight times or something like that what Moonlight cost. And I think it shows, It's as I said, as you pointed out in the intro, it's a gorgeous film. Um, there are some beautiful shots. Um, I think, you know, it's a period film, and despite the fact that it's got a pretty small budget, he did a really great job of um, exploring that period in a meaningful way uh, with, um, you know, set decoration and the um, costumes. But, um, and I don't want to give too way, too much away about my opinion on this, but I, I I don't know that this film worked as well for me as it as Moonlight did, and uh, I think a lot of that has to do with the period. Um, I, I found myself thinking a lot about Roma 
um, during this movie. And these the, uh, sort of coincidentally, these movies are set around the same time um, in the, sort of the early 70s, of course, in very different circumstances and, uh, and places. But um, I do think that I had a very difficult time um, sort of... Fi- uh, absorbing myself into that into the story um, and I think a lot of that had to do with with the way Jenkins decided to tell this story which I thought was a lot different than the way he t- he he did Moonlight do you do you think that's because um, we were so concentrated on a couple characters that you couldn't sort of see the overall world around him as as well what what do you think was the the part of it that I mean, I, sort of i think it was a little bit the the opposite i i i don't know that it that it's the time and, and i don't know that it's the time and 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 sort of circumstances the characters were under that distracted me i guess my comparison to roma was just that that was a that was a film that you know i had very little sort of personal connection to that I don't, uh, you know, sort of inherently don't relate to any of those characters on a personal level, but I found myself absorbed in their world. Um, but and- I think with Roma, it was, it was a, a bigger, uh, it, it magnified it. The, the world was more opened up than in Beale Street. I think you're probably right. I think you're, you're right. I, I guess what I, what I missed in Beale Street that I, that was in Roma were those first kind of 20 minutes where you get to know these characters. Suddenly this, this, the, um, the character, um, of Tish comes home and she's pregnant. That's the first scene we see. And, um, you know, you sort of right off the bat, you're getting into the story, which, uh, you know, inherently, you know, but sort of ostensibly I, I, I like that. I think that's a great, I, I love the sort of efficiency of that. And I thought that scene was very compelling and what comes next was very compelling as well. But I, I did not feel for that character. I did not, I, I, I never felt that I knew that character. I, I had a little bit of trouble with that actress as well, but, um, so much is told of, of her story and Fani's story. And, I don't know. I just I did not feel a, a connection to these people, and so that really helped m- hurt my ability to kind of absorb into the film. Okay, let's get back to that in a minute because I think that's interesting. But back to the topic of sort of his direction, and you you brought up kind of the period and the set design. And Jeremy, you mentioned that you know I think Roma is an interesting comparison because you point out that it's almost you're almost more aware of the surroundings in Roma where here I thought it was really interesting. Like he, like it was so clearly and intentionally background, like in, you know, I think that's where the close-ups came into play and kind of the music and the lighting, like you, it, he, he really told you where to focus. And as a result, I don't think he had to go crazy with his set design. He had to do enough to make it period specific. And that worked for me. I so I sort of felt like it was just very much, background which is kind of what that you know set design is supposed to be it's not supposed to draw too much attention to itself and you know i thought all the choices he made here worked so well in the context of this story and driving you to focus on that relationship between tish and fani which i really liked chapin i thought the two of them were great i really liked kiki lane in this um i thought i thought this whole movie hinged on really the flashbacks the the growth of their relationship and your believability in that yeah and i think that all came as a part of his his like the choices he made the direction he the the emotions he maybe you know forced on us a little bit with some of his music and things like that but i thought it was effective 
Well, I could. I, I'd love to speak to the score of this because I, I thought this was the best score of the the year in any movie I've seen. I there's just there's just some something about the way that the the fabric of the the music intertwined with the his um, decisions with the camera that to me was well, very yeah, very I effective. Also, I also thought it had this like old like police procedural like suspense music thing going on that I couldn't quite put my finger on. I felt like I'd seen it in a movie before, but like I thought it was really interesting what he did. I loved it. Yeah, I'm with you. I loved the score. But that's another piece that I felt like this movie was clearly directed, you know, and sometimes I feel like that could be a bad thing. It almost calls too much attention to itself, but here I think it it it, it did its job. Yeah, I mean, he clearly was in control of every aspect, every frame of this film. And I feel like we're dancing around, like, what we truly, like, if it was truly effective or not. Uh, and I guess I'm dancing around it because I, I'm, I'm kind of in between where I think Chapin is and where you are, Lee. Uh, I understood why he did everything. And... But I, I'm not entirely sure if if all the decisions worked every time, and maybe because some of the some of the time they did, and some of the some of the time they didn't, that I'm a little wavering on my opinion of this movie. Well, I'm. I agree. There are there were some scenes where I wasn't totally on board. The the one that really stood out for me was the sex scene. Um, that felt directed to me like it, it almost felt I felt too conscious of his choices that he was making um, and you know the idea that he was lingering on it to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable but it wasn't the right type of uncomfortable for me it wasn't the effective type it was the taking me out of the movie type mm-hmm. so there were times where I felt like those decisions that he was making maybe went a little bit too far in the direction of uh, over directing if that's a term Um but for the most part, like, again, like I said, I think it all played back to one true intention of this movie, and that is to develop and to make you invest in their relationship because everything else hinges on that. Like, the, all the stuff that happens in the present doesn't matter if you're not invested in all of those flashbacks. Yeah, and let's go back to the performances because I, I think Kiki Lane was very effective here. Uh, I'd be curious, Chape, why why you thought she wasn't. But she, like the main character, sort of in Roma, is a bit of a passive character. We're sort of she's she's almost like a passenger in this in this story. Um, but she doesn't have to be. The camera's got kind of gotta be on her face the whole time, and that's our view into this world is her face and she doesn't have to emote a lot to make it really effective and i think she was a, a good choice for for this character i'm curious jp what where did you think she wasn't that effective I, I i mean maybe it was just the way she was directed too i think i mean there so much of the film is told in her face and i think that she she did that Nicely, I mean, for, for, for if you, if you think about this film, like you know, we th- we talked a little bit about, or when Lee and I did uh, First Man, where like so much of the film is just told in literally just told in a close up. But her, I don't know, I just did not find her ca- character to be character to be very complex. She sort of had two modes. It was either like, you know, 
fawning over Fawny, for lack of a better word, or kind of um, being sad and sort of submissive. Um, so, uh, yeah, so she just sort of had two speeds where, um, you know, one, her, her, you know, she's kind of excited and in love and that's, and I thought, I think that was effective. And then the other one was she's sad and kind of ashamed and, and she's got her head down and, um, she, she was good at that too, but it, it just, the character just wasn't rich and kind of, um, subtle and layered the way that, um, I think characters in a movie of, uh, of I think you know Barry uh, of a uh, with a director of, of Barry Jenkins' strength should be and um, I I honestly just so, sort of found the emotions in this movie that way too they were sort of like either very you know sort of sappy and kind of overwrought or they were too sort of uh, too kind of. Uh, broadly kind of terrible and um, you know focus on the struggle and I, look I get that this is what this film was about in a way you know but um, I think when you look back at a time like this um, especially when it's a period drama and especially when uh, the filmmaker and his DP and his set and uh, his production designer are just making these incredibly gorgeous images that like you just want to stare at and kind of drool over it's hard, at least it was hard for me to, 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 you know, get into the film because everything just kind of felt like a stage. I felt like I was watching this, and th there was no. Do you think it felt a little bit like almost like a play? Exactly. I, that's a great. It's mm -hmm. a great. Uh, that's a great note. It, it, you felt like how you were sitting there and you were watching it, like it was a proscenium, and there was a there was a space between you and the actors. Whereas the films that you know we've talked about before, Roma, uh, we talked about um, Moonlight uh, on our um, top one hundred on our hundredth episode, where uh, I think um, Brantley brought it up, or some, one of you guys. Oh no, Lee, you brought it up um, as one of your top five of the of the. Um, Century or decade or whatever decade, this is, yeah. yeah. And, and <laughs> century, that's our yeah, next. We, top we haven't five. gotten to that one yet. Um, but like, I, I felt the same way. Everything that you felt too. Like, it is, it's a movie I had, like I had no real business, you know, f seeing myself in. But I did, and I think that's what uh, the power of really great filmmaking. And this one, it just pushed me away a little bit. Just kind of, it, it didn't allow me to to really get my fingers into it. So, I agree with that. Um, at least in comparison to a movie like Moonlight, but I'll tell you where I disagree with you, and in, in particular with with Kiki Lane, is like everybody, every um, actress, at least every like main actor or actress in this movie, sort of has their moment, has their scene. Um, of course, Regina King, who's getting a lot of uh, acclaim for her performance, and it's great, but she has her scene when she goes down to Puerto Rico. Um, is that where she goes? Not Puerto Rico. Yeah, no, Puerto um, Rico. That's right. It is Puerto Rico. Yeah, yeah. and and Fani has um, Stefan James has a has a big scene. Um, Coleman Domingo has a big scene. The sisters, the the um, Fani's mother has like everybody sort of has this big scene where they they're forced to act and have this kind of um, you know all out performance. And and Kiki Lane doesn't. And I found like she actually of all the characters was the strongest and was going through this situation sort of in this like oddly confident but inexperienced way like she doesn't know what's happening and she doesn't know what to do but she kind of understands the situation she's in and what has to be done to you know move forward and i i saw, thought that was all in the performance and i i mean for, again like in roma we're dealing with an amateur actress here that i just thought was really really good and and 
I thought had everything on her face. And like, I think about that scene in the living room early in the movie where the, all the families are together and, you know, the sisters are arguing, the mothers, the fathers are all, are fighting, everybody's arguing and she's just sort of there and, and she stands up at one point and she, and she says to the, um, Fani's mother, like, that was really mean what you just said to me. And she says it in a very kind of calm and like strong way. Yeah. And it, that hooked me. I was like, this is great. Like she didn't start crying. She didn't start yelling back. Like she just said, like, this isn't okay what you're doing. I think Barry Jenkins is an interesting director because this and Moonlight, he has, his main characters are, they are, are a little more passive and it's the, the people, it's the supporting characters that are, uh, for lack of a better term, get the media roles or whatever, but the movie, the movies themselves, um, you're following these sort of, quiet but confident um, characters and performances and I think that's he's really good at uh, uh, steering the ship with with that person as sort of his rudder it's interesting I think it's definitely confident performances the interesting thing both these movies you said you know confident characters I don't know that the character in Moonlight is actually very confident he's actually pretty um uh well somebody's mic is going crazy okay it's better now go ahead sorry on, i'm just gonna forget what um the character's name is in that movie i'm gonna look it up um uh why doesn't it even say the kid's name god damn it kevin that's not it no shiron mr moonlight yeah, Sharon. Um, so, I think what you said, Jeremy, about the the actors being confident is right in both Moonlight and in Beale Street. the The characters themselves, however, I don't think are particularly confident. I mean, Sharon right. is actually pretty shy, and and so is so is Tish here. Um, but that to me, that to me comes back to the um, relationship between her and Fani, like that they need to be together to be confident. Like when they're together, you know, things go well for them. They find, they, f- <laughs> they find their apartment with, uh, with Dave Franco. They, um, <laughs> they, you know, th- they make plans for their life together. Like they're, they, t- them together are confident characters. And I think maybe that's part of like, you see her on your own. And I was so like eager for, and like, uh, identified with her plight. Like I wanted her, I wanted her to get him back that that was important to me and and for a lot of the movie it it didn't have all that much to do with the injustice of his imprisonment that that did come later in one particular scene for me that we can talk about but for me it was getting these two back together this relationship worked for me like i wanted them together i felt like when they were together thing like all was right in the world like and we'd be good and i think that's what this movie was about too so i think that worked yeah i mean I, I agree. I agree, and I I just found, find it interesting as a director that he puts so, like he gives these these actors um, so much responsibility, but at the same time, it's not about them sort of overacting or or really performing. It yeah, lets the to, chaos exist around them almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so let, I, I'd like to. 
it, this ties in a little bit to um, uh, a subject that Jeremy brought up as a potential to talk about with with um, actors showing up in movies that sort of take you out of the movie. And he was uh, referencing the scenes with Dave Franco, who just really was, seemed out of place in this movie. But so did the lawyer, um, and to a certain extent, so did the cop. So uh, the three white people in this movie. What about what um, about Diego Luna and Pedro Pascal? I, I loved Diego Luna in this movie. Okay. In his small little part. I thought that was I, brilliant. I, I thought that's what you meant. I didn't know you meant the white guys. <laughs> no, the white guys are so out of place in this movie. But that's not really the thing I want to talk about so much as... Um, but the, the scenes with the, the bad guy cop. And if you're not sure who I'm talking about when I say the bad guy cop, just picture his face again. Um, yeah. And you'll know I'm talking about the bad guy cop. Um, but that was... That scene when you know they are confronted by him on the on the street corner it was the scene where i you know started to feel the injustices of his imprisonment like that's where i was i really was like okay he i just need him to get out of jail like this is so terrible what's happened to him and that you know i think added another uh layer of enjoyment to this movie for me because you know it it, i think had that um obviously intended effect on me about you know thinking about the you know the implications of of you know racism and things like that that go on um and you know you get to the um end of the movie and i don't want to spoil anything but the voiceover reveals um what ends up happening with fani um does it which is which is horrible yeah yeah she tells him what ends up happening with his with his prison sentence what 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 Um, is it I don't remember that. Yeah, I don't remember that either. That he takes a plea deal. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So yeah. so much for spoiling. <laughs> <laughs> These guys can't remember. Yeah, he takes a plea deal for something he didn't do. So a plea deal for aggravated rape. God knows how long he ended up in jail. And, you know, it's so disheartening. And I, I think, obviously, that's a, a huge impact that this movie intends to have. But that scene on the corner with that cop is you know, kind of ridiculous as he may have been and perhaps takes you out of the movie a little bit, I thought was really effective. I find it interesting that, like, yes, this this movie is about that and it's a huge part of this movie, but it's not the first thing you think about when you you think about this movie. This movie almost exists um, without its story if that makes any sense yeah no that makes it's total a, sense it's about its main it's conflict a, yeah yeah it's like more of a mood it's more of a feel than it is a, a film about really anything even though it is and and that story's there um s- sort of like moonlight it, it's it's a it's a, a like a mood piece yeah, and I mean, I think that's what I took away from this. And I don't want to come out of this podcast thinking, you guys, I, I, I like this movie. It just was, I had such high hopes for it and wanted to love it so much, even, you know, throughout the movie. So I guess what I'm expressing is my disappointment a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was sort of really successful in that. Like, you kind of feel the, like, the heat of the summer and the what it was like to be in, you know, Harlem in the 70s. And um, despite it being kind of a... Like I said, like I think you identified a little bit Lee with the with the cop and the the circumstances with the cop, um, 
being you know with the kind of the the sort of socio-political uh racist elements being kind of pretty pretty squarely drawn i mean they you know there wasn't a whole lot of subtlety there you did feel sort of the passion of life in that time and with the color it was just so gorgeous and i think um that's what he does so well i just i just don't know you know you know jenkins just makes you you know kind of feel like alive in those movies and so at the same time when i as i had trouble getting into it i did feel like you just feel alive yourself looking at those images yeah almost in a weird way felt like a tennessee williams play i yeah like come to life glass menagerie or something it's interesting um yeah, I mean, I think that just uh, talk, talks to his talent, to uh, Jenkins' talent. And it, even if, you know, I wasn't blown away by this movie, it really does get me excited for what he's going to do next and really his whole career because he can really transport you as an audience member to a different time and place and really make you feel the world he wants to make you feel rather than just watch it which yeah. i think is really something that's tough to do as a director and you you really can't teach that so the fact that he has it um and has the ability to do that whatever story he's going to be telling in the in the future i think um it, it's exciting as an audience member to to want to go and, and and see his movies because of that fact okay so unless you guys have anything else, um, briefly, uh, I want to talk about this experience that me and Jeremy had at the theater with this. Um, okay. I actually text Jeremy earlier in the week. I was like, hey, you know, do you think we should postpone this Beale Street podcast until we can see the movie again? And, you know, he kind of said, I think we can still talk about it. We'll just kind of have the caveat of the fact that uh, we had an issue. And that was that uh, the theater we were in, I guess it turned out, lost an amplifier uh, we had a hard time with some of the dialogue in the movie. The sound was was pretty poor um, during most of it and couldn't hear some scenes, um, in particular that very, very pivotal scene with um, with Brian Tyree Henry right. and his monologue uh, was pretty lost on me, unfortunately. Um, but uh, Was this an older theater you went to? No, it was an AMC. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, but I, I want to bring this up, Jeremy, because do you think – seeing this again is going to change your opinion uh much it could it could because like do you think think that what you lost there could have filled some of these gaps Mm -hmm. i i do i i think that um seeing how the experience and how i've talked about this movie so far is more of a a tonal experience i think that having in a visual one yeah (laughs) yeah in a visual one it's like having those gaps filled in like may elevate this a little bit for me and i i do want to see this movie again maybe we can try before the fixies um to give it a you know to get the full experience because i do i think it i think um it would elevate it a bit for me you yeah i was i mean i was really the reason i text you that is because like you know, a couple days after, I was thinking, I was like, God, I really liked this movie. Like, this, I, like, I, I loved this relationship. Like, I wish I knew what they were saying the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Like, so yeah. I was like, I God, you... I wonder how I really feel about this movie. I seemed like I le- left it, and, like, as the days pass, I'm, like, really thinking about it. And, it, you know, it seems like it might be high up on my list at the end of the year, but I didn't even really see the whole thing. So, yeah, I was just mostly, like, interested. I definitely feel like I want to see it to 
before the fixie so it gets placed appropriately on my lists um at least for if for no other reason yeah and you have it, no excuse it might go down it could <laughs> it's like you'll realize how bad it is well i mean I, I would not say the dialogue was the strongest part of this movie no i mean and that's why i think we can talk about it yeah pretty confidently even i mean it's not like it's not like there was no dialogue sound at all i mean we still heard it to an extent yeah you just, just really the issue quiet. was the issue was you had to kind of so astutely pay attention to what you were hearing and then like replay it in your head that you'd miss the next thing hmm. um at least that's what kind of was the issue for me today we are privileged to be among white men and white women <laughs> such as yourselves Real warriors for the real America, the America that our ancestors fought and died for. The true white American race, the backbone from whence came our great Southern heritage. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you so much for never putting your country second. America first. America first. America first. So um, I've been thinking about this uh, next topic um, as I've been going through the list of movies I still have to see this year. And I was like, God, there's been a lot of movies that are dealing with, you know, uh, social issues um, in particular, things like racism, um, but, uh, you know, some other things as well. And I'm just going to list off a handful of movies for you guys um, yeah, just to do. kind of make my point. So Beale Street. Uh, of course, The Hate You Give, Blind Spotting, Monsters and Men, Black Klansmen, Black Panther, Green Book, to name a few movies that deal with racism and race. Um, and then uh, Boy Erased, about um, uh, a gay teenager that's sent to a scared straight camp. Two movies about um, Ruth, ba- Ruth Bader Ginsburg and uh, women's rights. First Reformed covered every possible social issue that ever existed. Um, beautiful boy and Ben is back about uh, opi- opioid use. So a lot of stuff that we're dealing with and hearing about and reading about today um, have been put on film this year. And um, I'm not, you know, I, I, I thought about saying just like, do you, th- why do you think that is, or is this the most ever in one year? And I feel like that'd be sort of hard to quantify and and say y- yes or no one way or the other. Um, but really, what I, I I found was the other night when I was trying to pick out something to watch. I have my list of 2018 movies I still need to see. And I'm going through it and I'm looking and I was like, I really don't feel like watching a movie that is going to deal with this stuff again. Like I've, there's been so many, I've seen so many, uh, I ended up watching blind spotting. Um, and you know, I, it had not, you know, I just kind of felt like it, is there, are there too many? Are they becoming, stale like that seems like a bad thing to say because they are dealing with important subject matters but like are there too many like should there be more good movies that don't deal with you know today's issues i don't i don't think it's about dealing with today's issues or not dealing with today's issues um I, i just think that as somebody who's watching a lot of content eventually are you going to want some escapism or are you going to want to always tackle what you're seeing out in the real world head on. Right. So I just think maybe since 
movies are good at tackling stuff head on, and there's been so many of them, sometimes you just want some escapism too. So, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily that it's a bad thing or a good thing. I just think it can get a little bit overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, to me it feels like, and and look, this could be, like a lot of what I'm trying to see, I'm basing on reviews and acclaims and awards and things like that just to narrow down the selection. And a lot of these movies that are topical are getting high high scores. But like there, there doesn't seem to be, and I don't know why this is the movie that's coming to mind, but there doesn't seem to be a gladiator this year. You know, like a just like a, a great movie that's... Or like a Dunkirk. A, or, yeah, you know, like... like uh, Dunkirk kind of had that feel last year of being like, wow, this is such yeah. a great movie, but it's so... It's almost like tone deaf to the sort of chatter that's happening in the world right like Like, just you know like just make uh just make a great movie um and look it's like you said it's you know it's probably important that um filmmakers are using the medium to you know get some of these points out um and we're in a time where that is probably as important as ever so that could be a big part of it but it's just i think it's interesting that like this year doesn't seem to have the opposite of that the dunkirk or the gladiator or the whatever you know whatever you know the interstellar the, the christopher nolan the didn't christopher make a movie nolan. this year yeah. <laughs> yeah well maybe next year <laughs> inception yeah no i think it's a it's a it's a great point it it's like you can't blame these filmmakers for doing this that's the no, thing I'm, tr- I'm trying to like I guess that's the point I'm trying to get at. Even if it seems a bit tedious or exhausting or you're you're just sort of getting hit over the head with the same social justice justice issues over and over again in these movies, you cannot blame the filmmakers for trying to sort out what we're seeing in the world as best they can and as best they know how, which is through the medium of film. So, and like you said, Lee, a lot of these movies are doing really well and are critically acclaimed and we're trying to catch up here at the end of the year so yeah you're we're seeing a lot of these movies um you know it's i think it is what it is and um you gotta take them you know give give the filmmakers the credit and and try to just sort through them as best you can so follow-up question to that and i don't i don't want this to sound insensitive but do you think these movies are are doing well critically because of their subject matter are they getting a little bit of uh, a boost in their rating for lack of a better description i think you get leeway right i think you get um i think you it's more it's challenging to tackle these issues in film and it's just another challenge that filmmakers face right and i think in some ways they should be rewarded for it i think it's nice when things are topical and you know, if if we on the sort of highest level think of films as a way to sort of, you know, cathartically process what's happening around us in the world um, and and some even more rare cases have something, you know, really become part of the text in comment on those on those issues. That's that's the greatest type of movies. Um, I mean, not the greatest, but I mean, those those just sort of elevate the importance of, of film. And so I think it's a, uh, it's fair to sort of grant those filmmakers a little bit of leeway to not make the most perfect entertaining film, you know? Um, 
I mean, I yeah, don't. I think it's more than that, though. I mean, Black Klansman. I mean, not Black Klansman. A Black Panther might win Best Picture for Christ's sake. Like, I, I mean, that I, would be crazy. I don't That's think it's this, going to. Did I, you guys? It end probably up, won't. But did you guys end up seeing it? Yes. Uh, yeah, we saw. We talked about it on the hundredth um, episode. I know one of you had seen it at that point, but I didn't know both. Yeah, of you. and I look as Marvel movies go, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great and it isn't it shouldn't be nominated for best picture oscar never mind have a chance to win um blind spotting i thought was actually pretty bad um i and i has i'm looking at a 77 meta score um you know so like i don't know and you know you liked it but weren't as high on beale street as everybody else like i feel like beale street is maybe the example of the leeway like you get a little bit of leeway. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's scoring a little higher than it should, but you know some of these other ones I just I think are a little silly. Are getting more than leeway. I mean, yeah. I, I'll offer a counterpoint. If we did Vice last last week, and I've got a friend um, at work here who I I you know talk a lot about movies with, you know, not on an official capacity as we are right now, um, but. Do you have another podcast? <laughs> I've been wanting him to see Vice, and he's he's quite like you know. He's, he's he was very into politics. Worked on the Obama campaign, and so he's you know he, but he has real hatred for Bush and Cheney. And there is this, you know, he's heard in reviews and stuff that 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 you know Cheney is kind of humanized in that film, and um, you know as like a and so thus he doesn't want to see it. Even though I mean, the takeaway I think for everybody is that that is an indictment on on Cheney, yeah. <laughs> um, but. I, you know, you, you sort of have the other side of it, which is that you, in order to tell a story about anybody, you've got to humanize them in order for Christian Bale to play that character. He said, you know, he, he had to find the humanity in Dick Cheney. And I think, um, on sort of the other level of what I just mentioned, you know, I, I am, I am sort of, we don't need to get into like how I, I feel, I do feel like the, the, just the, the cacophony of, dialogue around political issues you know since trump has been elected has from both sides been elevated to a point that you know i don't really care for um and you know there are real issues at at hand i'm not saying that but i think one thing vice was trying to say was that like you know we've had it a lot worse it just wasn't quite as obvious right like i mean trump's doing a lot of bad things but we're not going to you know we're not fighting multiple wars and you know massacring people um uh and i think you know, one nice thing that films can do is, I think, provide a little bit of like humanity to these issues. And yes, we might have this like awful feeling about Dick Cheney, but there is something sort of inherently good about understanding that that is a real person underneath. Even if you totally disagree with everything that he's done and you find that he is a war criminal, um, I don't know that like humanizing Hitler in um, downfall is a bad thing. I don't know. Like I don't know why seeing the human side of somebody uh, is dangerous. You know, I mean, I'm sure someone could give me a, a lot of good answers as to why it is, um, but it isn't for me. I don't think. I don't like. I'm not gonna become a Nazi because you know uh, <laughs> I saw downfall. I know that he's. A, I, I'm not unfamiliar with what Hitler did but it's almost more powerful once you realize that that there is actually a human there instead of a uh, you know like a dragon or something you know this like boogeyman you know what I mean 
So Good this point. is the podcast where yeah, I gotta, uh, this Chapin gonna, defends Hitler. There's going to be a lot of editing in this one. It's going to be at 38 minutes. <laughs> 38 minutes. No, I think, I think you make a lot of good points, Chapin. And I also think, to Lee's point, I, I think the problem also is that with so many things out there, it just becomes, it's it starts to become noise. It just, you it loses a little bit of its effectiveness when there's just sort of a cloud of it everywhere you look. Yeah, it's oversaturated. Um, exactly. So I think that might also be a bit of a problem in in a way the filmmakers are hurting themselves by um, o- oversaturating these these issues and these topics that it loses a little bit of the effectiveness. I also don't think that, you know, if... if, if Black Panther doesn't win Best Picture, which I agree it shouldn't. Um, it that doesn't negate any of the power that of that movie. That movie right. gave hundreds of mi- you know millions of black children you know for the first time really like a real set of heroes that they can you know look up to, which has never been done before, and that's an incredible achievement. But that doesn't mean it's the best movie ever made. Like these two right. things and can exist at the yeah. same time, and they yes. one doesn't have to comment on the other. You know? Yeah, and that's why that's always my frustration is that like I you know I, I I I very often separate the two things. It's it's great that movies can have a political influence and you know themes that are relevant and topical and and important, but. You know, just because Black Panther is important to a lot of people in this world doesn't make it a good movie, and that's that should be okay. Like or a, a great movie, or, or great whatever movie. you want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, whatever like you want to call it. You know, and and those two things are are separate, but they don't have to be mutually exclusive. In a weird way, it kind of goes back to a movie's a movie. It's a movie. Like yeah, it is, does. Is it a good film? Bottom line, and, uh, and then you can sort of you you can go from there. You can branch off from there, but does this work as a whole piece of art and then you can start dissecting it yeah i I forget what what movie it was maybe it might have been black klansman um that chapin asked us you know like our like our thoughts on you know seeing a politically based movie it's something that we're you know politics being something that we're not always particularly interested in at least you know in the past and and Jeremy, your answer was like, as long as the writing and the directing and the cinematography and the acting is all in place, then that's what I'm grading here. You know, the other pieces exactly. is, is something to discuss. But as a movie, it's it's got to have those things done well. Innocent Prisoners. So this turned out to be a little bit more difficult in my research than I was expecting. I don't know if you guys had the same issue. Yes. Um, I've managed a somewhat um, thin but, I suppose, complete list now that I'm ranking them here. 
Um, but Jeremy, why don't you kick us off with uh, any criteria you had and your number five? Well, I, I made this a memorial list, but I won't say what it is just in case you guys have it. Um, okay, very good. On yours. But um, uh, my criteria was it didn't, they, they didn't have to have been found guilty already. They just had to have been in prison or on trial. Okay. Uh, um, so that being said, my number five is Cameron Poe, played by Nick Cage. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was imprisoned. He was, yes. Yeah. yeah, but he also did do it. He wasn't really innocent. Yeah, but he also got he got a raw deal because he was just such a lethal killer. Yeah. Yeah. His hands are <laughs> lethal weapons. Yeah. So yeah. you know, he's, a, he has a different level of responsibility. He's held to a different standard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna good, show you God does exist. Uh, I feel right, like there's gonna be a few impressions on this list. Okay, um, yeah, I yeah, you know, I'm not crazy about these these kind of like <laughs> I don't know what we call these lists, but the ones that like don't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. I mean, so, basically, I just brought up Con Air, so yeah, exactly. what are you talking about? Exactly. It doesn't matter. Exactly. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have an equally funny movie to, to bring up, um, but I actually kind of care for this film. And I almost see it as a little bit of a sequel to your guys's one of your guys's favorite, which is Shawshank Redemption, and that's The Green Mile, and that's John yep. Coffey of The Green Mile. Um, look, I get that I like this that film too. is very saccharine, cornbread, and corny, and whatever. But man, when, you, when it comes up on like TBS or USA, and and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Michael Clark Duncan is grasping Tom Hanks's nuts, and <laughs> it's it's just, hard Sam, to look Sam Rockwell's losing his mind. Yeah, I mean, this is a moving film, and I it, it's one of those like guy cry movies, and you know, it's uh, so I it's like way it. too long. I like that movie too. But like God, I'm with you. Like the same thing when that movie comes on TV, you're and you're like, oh, I could watch this, and you're like, four hours left. Yeah, with commercials. With commercials, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, that's a good pick. I had that was one that wasn't going to make the cut for me, but I did write down. Um, all right. Oh God! So I, now I now I'm, I, now I'm like foreseeing one of Jeremy's picks already in my head that I that oh, okay. What? So I I'm gonna um round out our our fantastic number fives here. Um, with another one that it could be on either one of your lists, especially you, Chapin, but John Mason from The Rock. <laughs> yep. God, that that uh, was he wrong? Was he wrongfully convicted? Because he though? did it. So he, he definitely did he, it. He, he did, but he was just working for the the uh, British government. Like it's not like he was a criminal. Yeah. Well, he never got a fair trial, and he never got a trial yeah. either. They just made him disappear. It's that that ninety six to ninety seven Bruckheimer run was pretty incredible. We've got two <laughs> picks on the list from that period. Yeah. Uh, All right, that's a good one. Let's get right. a little more um, serious here. Yeah, Jeez. let's All get right, real on. serious. Mine, mine is with super my, serious. With my number four, and it is uh, John Proctor, uh, played by Daniel Day Lewis in The Crucible. <laughs> oh, I never saw that. Told told you I'd get serious. I know. This isn't so mirrors mine that it's it's funny. Uh, so there you go, number four. He he was uh, found guilty of being a witch. Well, isn't it Daniel Day Lewis? A, was isn't it a warlock? He's not a witch. He can't be a witch. He's not a woman. What, whatever they called it. Yeah, I think it was something. Wasn't he a fornicator? Oh, Salem witch trials movie. I guess I got to see this now. Yeah, yes. you're in the area. 
Okay, my number. <laughs> it's probably playing. <laughs> my number four. Another movie from 1996. My number four is Sir Thomas More, played by Paul Schofield in A Man for All Seasons. Oh, good pick. Uh, I love. I mean, this movie. I I I remember just like having to watch it in like sixth grade or something. But I it's like such a great movie and uh, a dynamite really performance is. by Sp- Paul Schofield, who I believe won an Oscar for this role, and also our friend, um, the dearly departed um, Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw, yeah, you know, really King, fat Orson Welles, King something. I don't think or I've other. ever seen it. Oh, yeah, it was great. a just effing watch it, Jeremy. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Okay. It was our. I was one of our. First I'll have to listen to that. The, to speaking to that of that, the, the re-release of us of the Seven Seal has come out, and I always walk by the movie theater. And I'm thinking, <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> um, uh. All right, uh, keeping in keeping with our uh, with Jeremy's pick, I'm going with Jerry Conlon in the name of the Father, played by, and you guys, this will surprise you, but it was a fantastic performance by Daniel Day Lewis. Man, I didn't actually love this movie. I'm not a huge fan of those um, Jim Sheridan IRA movies that made that he made a bunch of in the '90s. But um, you know, Daniel Day Lewis was obviously is obviously he's good in everything, but he was really good in this and um, kind of stood out for me. That's the only thing I really remember about the movie. But there you go. Two Jerry Bruckheimer produced films, two Daniel Day Lewis movies. Brilliant. All right, what are we on here? Number, number three. Hold on. So mine, my number three is um, more for the performance than the movie, but it's uh, Denzel Washington in The Hurricane as yeah. uh, Reuben Carter. Not a great movie. Not a great movie, great performance, yeah. though. Yeah. Paul Schofield is also in The Crucible, interestingly enough. Man, we got all sorts of tie-ins wow. going on here. Uh, Chapin, what do you got for your number three? Uh, my number three is a documentary because they are movies too. And it is Randall Adams in ah, The Thin God Blue Line by um, Errol Morris. Errol Morris, yeah, um, great one. Oh, I mean, I've watched this movie a couple times and uh, I've actually gotten to film in a couple of prisons in, in, for my job the last last year. Um, and I'm just amazed at like the way that they were able to film those interview scenes, of, specifically of him. They're so like, um, the atmosphere in which they lit it uh, was amazing. They sh- obviously shot it all in 16 millimeter film, I think, or 35. And um, that's a that's a very moving movie that I think kind of set the stage for all these um, sort of true crime film uh, TV shows that are now a big deal, like on Netflix and stuff. Um, and yeah, I think it's a it's a great movie. Uh, I love it. And filming in prisons is not easy. No, how's how have you found that experience? Oh, um, it's tough. Like when we uh, we were in, actually went into like uh, the most minimum security women's prison. And uh, it's still you've got to have all your stuff looked at, and right. um, yeah, so it's yeah. We we've filmed in Walpole Prison for this last movie, and basically everything had to be on a list. Um, yep, that's like, what we had to do. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it was tough, and we like just getting the crew in took half the day. Right, right. Every day you got to get checked out in and checked out. So exactly. Yeah. All right, my number three is Zach and Jack in Down by Law. You guys seen that movie? Oh, wow. Jim Jarmusch. 
Yeah, it's, it's been a long time. Long yeah, time it's a, it's a. I remember. I think this movie is so funny. Um, I, I don't remember a ton about it, but like, I, I remember specifically. I remember Roberto Benigni in it, which is he's not Zach or Jack. He plays. I think it actually is Roberto. Um, Tom Waits is in it. Um, last time we saw him before uh, the Coen Brothers movie, but um, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty funny. I'm not a huge Jarmish fan. I never really have been. Um, What's the one with Johnny Depp, Dead Man, or something like yeah. that? That yeah, I really didn't like that. Um, fan of Ghost but this Dog. One was, what is it? Ghost Dog. Yeah, That's another one. The one with. Uh, uh, I, never, I don't one. think I saw that one. Um, yeah, not a filmmaker I really seek out. Down by Law was one I one I, I watched kind of you know. Wait, did you in m- film school? Did you mention the Last Samurai or whatever that? Not the Last Samurai. What's it called? The one with. Um, what's his name? By Never Jarmish. Mind. Yeah, it's really good. Um, I'll look it up here. I think I think it's Ghost Dog is the one I'm. Go- oh, okay. oh, the Way of the Samurai. Yeah, yeah, Ghost yeah. Dog, the Way okay. of the Samurai. That's a good one. Um, yeah, and the Coffee and Cigarettes movies, the shorts I never liked. Anyway, um, yeah, Down, Down by Law I thought was was funny. God, it's older than I thought. 1986. Um, Tom Waits and uh, John Lurie play Zach and Jack. All right, good good pick. Um, so number two is uh, my number two is Ralph Macchio and Mitchell Whitfield. Oh my God, another good one. And uh, my cousin Vinny. I mean, they never obviously they had good represent, representation, so they never okay. ended up being found guilty, but they right. were in jail. That should be uh, for one. murder. Yeah, and well, it's my number two. So great movie. Brilliant. Great. Um, and so you guys are gonna be mad at me for this one. I'm gonna just steal it right from under you. Um, he, uh, they, they said he threw his weapon in the Royal River, and it's Andy <laughs> Dufresne in uh, the Shawshank Redemption. Nary a gun was found. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, this is my Andy Dufresne memorial list. So mine that's too. Who, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for waiting until you said that. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, this is the ultimate. Everybody in here is not isn't guilt didn't do it or whatever yeah. he says. And in, in fact, the lawyer fucked me. Yeah, <laughs> Andy Dufresne <laughs> is the guy. Um, well, I, so, ha- I did have a theory at one point that Andy Dufresne was actually guilty. Hmm. Wouldn't that be brilliant? That he actually did do it. He was just so drunk that he doesn't he, remember. He sort of blacked it out. Yeah. It'd be funny if they did a sequel now with DNA evidence. Yeah. They go back and <laughs> like clearly. Did do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. This has already been mentioned. Thin Blue Line, Randall Adams. That's my number two. I love that movie too. I, I, it's such a visceral documentary too. Like the kind of half recreations that he does, but really it's just like you know it, it, he never really lets you see exactly what happens. Um, because we don't really know the story other than just the testimony of the characters that he's interviewing. But, yeah, that's a good movie. All right, number one. So, as I said, this is my uh, Andy Dufresne, Shawshank Redemption Memorial List, and uh, that would have been my number one, but now my number one is Harrison Ford in the future. Oh, f- yeah. Is that yours too, Jake? Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing <laughs> yeah, that's That's mine too. 
<laughs> all number, all the same number one. Harrison I thought of, Ford. I, I thought of this list, and I was like, I was like, okay, Andy Dufresne Memorial List, and then the first thing that comes up is is Richard Kimball, and I'm like, ah, fuck. Like, I can't have it be both Memorial lists. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have enough options. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any honorable uh, mentions that were not already? said um i mean it didn't really count because it's a tv show but i really love the um making a murderer on netflix i know there's some yeah there's some debate whether he is in fact innocent but the show would have you believe he is uh brand brandon especially well, yeah brandon yeah i um green Mile was my honorable mention which was mentioned of course yeah, same, same with me. Well, I think we we named them all, guys. Yeah, so that's all of them. No, so you you do a, a internet search for like, you know, wrongfully convicted, innocent prisoners, prison movies, and like obviously there's so many movies, but like I can't believe how bad some of these movies look. Um, Double Jeopardy was the only one that I'd seen that it came up that I felt didn't belong on a top five list anywhere. So. Yeah, it was a tough one. I really so I, <laughs> Jeremy, I was trying to see if the Passion of Joan of Arc would work. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I, I didn't know what she, list. I didn't know what she did. Uh, or she wasn't. <laughs> she didn't do anything. She just got burned at the stake, and you know. Yeah, no, that would have been it. That would have been a good one. That's a good honorable laughable mention. performance. <laughs> uh, all right, that gonna wrap it up. That will indeed wrap things up for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. We are inching closer and closer to the Fixie Award Show, uh, which we will continue to keep you updated on when those will be. We're working on getting as many movies seen as we can so that we can have our lists full and complete of all the great movies uh, from 2018. Uh, We encourage everybody to check us out on Instagram and Facebook like us on iTunes, give us a review, send us an email to feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. We'll read it on the podcast, uh, just like we have been every week so far. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we just kind of, you know, we page through all the emails, pick out the best ones, and we read them. So uh, if there's nothing else, guys, that'll do it. I'm staying. Finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.